0: So, I was saying that the word, the Latin word, adventus, means coming or arrival. It can be used both ways. And the church, over the centuries, has set apart this time as we wait, as we are expecting the coming of the Christ child. We're looking for the arrival of Christ our Savior. And we celebrate this season as a time of expectation. As a time of waiting, as a time of excitement, you know, we're waiting for something exciting to happen. A time of great hope because we're looking for the arrival of our King. Now, <clears throat> you can probably think of other things as you were growing up or even with your children that uh, made you and others look forward with great anticipation, you know, as children. We get excited about Christmas coming for all sorts of reasons. We get excited about birthdays approaching. We get excited about summer break from school, summer vacation, and as we get older, we anticipate graduations and maybe first full-time jobs as adults. We anticipate weddings. We anticipate the birth of children and the birth of grandchildren. And just about a year ago, I was greatly anticipating my lifelong hometown football team going to the Super Bowl. And the reason why that was such a big deal was because it was 50 years since the last time they went to the Super Bowl. So we've been waiting a long, Dale Johnson and I have been waiting a long time for that to happen. So we can all understand this feeling of anticipation, this excited waiting, this hopeful expectancy, you know, as we wait for certain things. But, you know, the nation of Israel had even a much bigger reason to have very strong expectations. They weren't just waiting for a celebration or some special vacation or even the birth of a grandchild or a child as an important as that is I'll tell you what they were waiting for follow along as I read from Psalm 2 <clears throat> and look what Israel's waiting for and there are lots of passages in the Bible the Old Testament even New Testament that talk about this But I'm just going to read one this morning it says why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the lord and against his anointed saying let us break their chains and throw off their shackles the one enthroned in heaven laughs the lord scoffs at them he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. This is the king they're looking toward. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. This is what Israel was looking forward to. This is a messianic psalm. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Israel was waiting a long, long time expecting their Messiah to come. He would be a conquering king, as we saw here in Psalm 2. And like I said, there's so many other passages that give that same message. He would be one who would come and defeat their enemies. And he would rule over the nations. And it says in Daniel that his kingdom would come like a big rock that bursts the other kingdoms and then fills the whole earth. And, of course, many other passages in the Bible tell of this coming king. And so Israel has been waiting and waiting and waiting. So now with all of that in mind as kind of a backdrop, I want to cover a portion of the gospel of Luke this morning. Luke, excuse me, is a physician who becomes a follower of Christ during the time of the apostles. He wasn't with Jesus when Jesus was on the earth, but At some point he joined the apostles after jesus went to heaven and he's writing this gospel account he's one of the four gospel writers and he's writing it to somebody named theophilus in order to help him put together all the facts from what he's been hearing about jesus and what he's been being taught and what he does is luke more than any other gospel writer He ties those facts, the things that he's heard and things that he's learned, he ties them to world leaders. He ties them to cities so that they can go and they can verify everything. And he says that he went to eyewitnesses and got all this information. And he's trying to put it down in a very organized manner so that his friend can just follow along and be certain of the things that he's been taught. We're going to cover quite a bit, so I'm not going to put up every verse like I often do, but I'm going to kind of talk through it and have choice verses that I'll put up there from time to time. Uh, Now, remember, Israel's expectation of their coming Messiah is one, as we saw, of a conquering warrior. You know, the Lord up above laughs at those who say they're going to defeat him and one who will come and rescue his nation from their enemies and from foreign domination and set up a kingdom that will never end and will stretch across the whole world. But <clears throat> as Luke starts his gospel, he begins talking about King Herod. Now, King Herod was appointed by the Romans. He was an Idumean, but he was... A king in the Roman Empire that ruled for Rome. And during his reign, Luke says there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah who had a wife named Elizabeth. I'm in chapter one of Luke if you want to turn your Bibles there. But he talks about Zechariah and Elizabeth, both descendants of Aaron, the priest, Aaron, the brother of Moses. And so he's really kind of giving his pedigree in a sense because that's high, that's speaking highly of Elizabeth and uh, Zechariah. They come directly from the priesthood of Aaron. Aaron was the, the first priest of Israel. Luke says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were very, very devout uh, worshipers of God, very serious about their faith uh they he says they were blameless that they really lived for the lord and all their intentions were good for the lord but they were never able to conceive a child or have a child and so that was a big deal and that was just such a dark note because they had served the lord so faithfully he says that Zechariah's division of priests there were 24 divisions of priests back in Zechariah's day, that included total 18,000 priests, 24 divisions, and each division would serve two weeks out of the year. But while Zechariah's division was chosen, it was his turn; it was their turn to be serving at the temple. <clears throat> As they were taking their turn they would cast lots to see who would go burn the incense. And that was a very high privilege, a very holy privilege to go and burn the incense. You went into the holy place. And so Zechariah was chosen by lot. So he goes in to light the incense, and the incense had to be kept lit. It was a sacred event. Everybody else was outside praying. And I'm sure that a lot of their prayers, you know, all through, the, all through the time, has been for God to come and rescue them, to deliver them. But while he was lighting the incense, something frightened him terribly. He was really shaken up. And it turned out to be an angel of the Lord. And Luke says that Zechariah was gripped by fear at the sight of this angel. Now, I want you to see here... What the angel says to him as he is gripped with fear, he said, but the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. <clears throat> he says here, he came to Zechariah in response to his prayer. And then he says, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and he is to be called John. Now, John means God is gracious. Now, if God names this child, that means that he has a special mission for him. He already has things planned out for him. He has a special calling of God on his life. And the angel says... That this child will bring joy and delight to Zechariah and his wife as well. Many people will rejoice in him in the nation because he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will do great things. He will make a big difference to the nation. So this is going to be a very special child with a special calling. And the angel goes on to say that he's never to drink strong drink. It's kind of like a Nazarite vow or life. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. So he will have the Spirit of God directing him and influencing his whole life and being there to empower him even before he's born. He will minister in the spirit of Elijah, the prophet, the great Old Testament prophet who called the nation to repentance and says he will turn the hearts of the parents toward their children and the children toward their parents so he's going to he's going to bring families back together families that were just kind of disintegrating because you know they had moved away from God this child is going to have an incredible ministry when he grows up and many many people will be affected by his life now what are we to make of this so far Will this child be the Messiah? They asked him that, John the Baptist. They asked him that when he showed up. He said, no, I'm not the Messiah. But he's going to do great things and cause many people to rejoice. He's going to cause revival in families where hearts of parents turn to their children and children turn back to their parents. But you know, it doesn't say that he will lead armies to conquer their enemies, does it? Like Psalm 2 says. Yet it does say he will prepare people for the coming of the Lord. He will have this vast ministry of turning people's hearts back to the Lord, looking for the Lord, waiting for him to come. So what should Zechariah think of all this? I mean, listening to all this, this is going to be some incredible child. And he's going to have an amazing ministry. And he's going to have the Holy Spirit indwelling him, being with him, even before he's born. It sounds exciting. Well, I'll show you what Zechariah thinks of it. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. No, Zechariah. Wrong answer. This angel who gripped Zechariah with fear because of his awesome presence, after giving Zechariah this incredible news, and even said it was in response to his prayer. Zachariah is asking this powerful, frightening, heavenly, amazing creature that he's standing there by, that, that gripped him with fear. How can I be sure this will really happen? My wife and I are old. Well, you know, okay. Okay. I'm guessing they're in their 70s or 80s because it says that they were very old. And you don't see people like that having babies all the time. So in one sense, we can understand the question, can't we? But look at the angel's answer in verses 19 and 20. Moving down there. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens. Remember, Zechariah said, how can I know this is for certain? Here's how he's going to know it's for certain. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So, this is Zechariah's sign to prove what the angel is saying is true. That's a pretty tough lesson to have to go through, isn't it? So, we've got nine months of Zechariah not being able to speak. Do you think he learned from his lesson? He did learn from his lesson. And what he did learn was that nothing is impossible with God. And he and Elizabeth returned home, and she became pregnant, and she was overjoyed. And she was thankful to God for his grace and kindness. And again, if she's 70, she can't be younger than 60, right? So maybe she's 70-something She's thankful to God, and think of all that she has to do now. That's going to be pretty tough, too, but she's, she's glorifying God in it. Now, when the Israelites <clears throat> would read those passages about the Messiah coming to rescue them, and then conquering their enemies, and then setting up this eternal kingdom, everlasting kingdom that would cover the whole earth, do you think anyone, any one person would have had the idea that it would all start with this older couple who were never able to have children this older priest and his barren wife giving birth to the Messiah's prophet probably most of you are thinking well that wouldn't have been my first guess but you know in a sense Here's what's happening. God is bringing life out of death. He's bringing greatness out of a barren womb that was unable to, to produce life. was even less than normal. And the angel said, this was an answer to Zechariah's prayer. He says, "God heard your prayer." Now, it seems to me from this passage, I don't think it was Zechariah praying that day that they would have a child. I could be wrong, but I'm thinking it's a prayer that he'd been praying for years and years and probably just dropped it at some time. And just think of that. He's praying this prayer for years and years that they could have a child. Of course, I'm sure a lot of people pray that that don't have children and No child for decades And now God is answering that prayer and wow in what a way In a way that they never ever dreamed it would happen But this is God's timing and He has Zechariah and Elizabeth set aside for a special special purpose You know Jesus said that John was the greatest prophet to ever live. And a lot of that was because he was the one who was going to announce the Messiah. And he would have the greatest ministry because he was preparing the way for the Messiah. He called Israel back to God. And many came out. They they came out in droves to be baptized by John. He caused a great, great revival. And now six months later... We're going to see a second unsettling announcement. It's when the angel Gabriel goes to Nazareth to visit a young lady named Mary. And she was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph who was a descendant of King David. Remember we had descendants of Aaron, the priest, the first priest. Now we're talking about a descendant of King David. And she was also troubled and confused by this announcement, by this angel's greeting. An unsettling announcement. But he tells Mary, this angel does, that she has found favor with God. Don't be scared. Nothing bad's going to happen. You have actually found favor with God. And he tells her that she would conceive and give birth to a son who will be the son of the Most High. The son of God the Father. That means her son will be the very son of God himself. He will be the Messiah King of Israel. And he says, she is to name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Now look at verses 32 and 33. The angel says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end Now that coincides with the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah, doesn't it? It all fits. But just not in the way that we probably would have put it together, right? You know, to choose a barren womb from an old, old lady to be the Messiah's prophet To bear the Messiah's prophet. And now this young virgin. Who's never been married. Never been with a man. To give birth to the king of kings. We would have never thought of that. So Mary asks. How can this be? Because you know I've never been with a man. And the angel says in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Her baby will be actually the literal Son of God. That is through the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And this baby will be 100% deity, which is God, And 100% humanity he will be the son of God the son of man and that's all God's working and then the angel gives Mary a sign and I don't have it up here but he tells her your relative Elizabeth is going to have a child even in her old her old age so that's a sign to Mary that what he's telling her is true is going to happen And he says, and even though she has never been able to conceive before, now she is going to bear a child. And this is what he says He says, for no word of God will ever fail. And then Mary answers him in verse 38 I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So we read the Old Testament scriptures about the coming of the Messiah. And like I said, there's many more, and we'll read some as we go along. And in those scriptures, we read some of the things that he will do as the Messiah. We will read things about his kingdom and his reign we read about the coming of the Messiah in the New Testament, and we read about the coming kingdom and the conquering of his enemies, and, you know, sometimes we try to put it all together, you know, and we even try to map it out and say exactly when, what thing's going to happen when, <clears throat> and nothing wrong with that, but look how far off they were when they tried to put it together. I mean... No one could have predicted the way it happened. No one did predict the way it happened. No one could have. No one thought of a very old couple who were childless to bear the prophet of the Messiah. No one ever thought of an actual true virgin from Nazareth to bear the King of Kings. So we just have to trust God's word even when we can't put it all together. <clears throat> even when it seems like there's no way this could happen in this instance or even, even later. You know, we just can't put it together. And we always have to trust God's word, even when it doesn't fit with our plans and our dreams. An old, worn-out couple bearing the greatest prophet of God, who would prepare the way for the Messiah himself, would have people flocking to him to be baptized, to repent, to turn to God. A young unmarried woman from no place of importance, bearing the king of kings, who would be the very son of the Most High in the flesh. God doesn't do things our way very often, does he? And that's why it's called faith. Faith. Our religion is called our faith. And that's why Christians get mocked. You believe that? Look around you. Do you see it happening? Well, it's because we follow this book. Even when the world says it's ridiculous, we follow this book. And when they say, no, that isn't evil this over here is evil and the whole world is saying that we say no this is what's right but really it proves the power and the genius of God which is far above human knowledge and pride and human know-it-all and as we enter into this time of Advent this time of waiting this time of great expectations you know, the world outside has its own agenda because they just don't know the Lord. <clears throat> and so they have to put it all around human expectations. And for so many of them, Christ has very little to do with Christmas. But, but for us, he's the very center of it. He's the very reason for it. He's the reason it even exists. In this season of waiting and great expectation... Really highlights our serious, serious need to be rescued because that's what he came for, right? He came to rescue us from our sins. And so many in the world think that sins, if they believe in sin, they believe you just work them off yourself. But we can't. We had to have a Savior come, we had to have Christ come to save us from our sins. And so we we rejoice in this in this time of Advent, we're just looking toward celebrating the birth of Christ, but also toward having Christ come back and return and save us at the end. And God is the one who plans all of this out. And so often it looks like it will never happen, but it always happens. He devised this whole plan of salvation, and Christ came. And and when he came, he ended up on the cross. That's no plan of salvation. No, it's the only plan of salvation, isn't it? But you see, we have to be on a whole different track than the world does. Because God's track is way different than the world's. But as the angel told Mary, when he told her that her relative Elizabeth was going to have a son even in her advanced age, he said, because no promise from God will ever fail. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word tells us so many things that we really, really need to know and really need to put away in our hearts. And, Lord, we thank you that you have preserved it all through the ages, through the centuries and millennia and generations, so that we could have it. And, Lord, we pray that we would put it into our hearts and live by it and share it and spread it. And during this time of expectation, Lord, may many come to know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.